I'm Logan Bishop from Belmont University. And I'm Jenna Spinelli from Penn State. You're listening to Higher Ed Social, part of the Connect EDU network. Ron, welcome to Higher Ed Social. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. So your first ever podcast interview. That's exciting. First ever Um, podcast. Can you uh, tell us where you work, what your role is, all all that kind of stuff? Yes. Um, So currently, I've been about a month now, about a month and a half now, I'm at Northwestern University, uh, right outside Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm currently the Assistant Director of Residence Life and Student Conduct. So I kind of have two jobs right now um, out of two different offices. And so... I work directly in residence life, but have a dotted line to the Dean of Students office. And so a lot of our care and coordination, a lot of our um, kind of, our, kind of our, our first care response, our um, counseling services departments are over there in the Dean of Students office. And also I supervise four of our, our full-time um, live-on staff, our resident directors. And so um, pivotal role right now. And so I've been here about a month and a half. Uh, previously I was at Emory University as a complex director and before then at George Washington, and then before then at Stony Brook, and then Belmont. So, wow, been, been wow. around the East Coast, and now I'm in the Midwest. So it's been, yeah. a, been a journey. Yeah, slowly <laughs> working your way. Is like California the ultimate goal, or somewhere out west? You know, Just keep moving west. And keep going, inching over there. Over yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so you moved and started a new job during the pandemic. What was mm-hmm. that like? You know, I just got kind of a call with one of my colleagues here, and I, I think it's very, been very unique for me. I think that this has been a time where um, we are redefining what higher ed and student affairs really looks like in a virtual space. And so I think I'm kind of like a guinea pig in like this whole thing. So it's been kind of like very non-traditional in the sense of like how we welcome somebody, somebody to a community, to a new, you know, to a new culture, especially like a new, in a new space like this, especially a new city. So I think this has been a very... I think at first I said lonely, but also I said it's been very like redefining. I think I've been able to reflect a lot of like on myself this 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 past mm-hmm. month and a half. And so moving from my hometown of Atlanta, I'm coming to a place where I don't know many people um, outside of work. One thing about Northwestern, they have done a really good job of just being very intentional about my about how I'm doing every day. That's every, every, every meeting we start with like an icebreaker. We like a check in, like how are things happening, but also with our racial climate in America right now, we, that really has been like a focus on about how we are focused on more so on anti-racism and our work or whatnot. And so that's been a that's been really helpful to kind of think about our work in, in an anti-racist way, um, especially seeing what we see on TV every single day in the past month and they have all these um, unfortunate deaths from police or whatnot. So yeah. um, that's been it's been an interesting transition, but I, I will say it's been it's been a very um, reflective one that I can really talk about. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the shift toward anti-racism, both on, on, on your team and maybe in you know, residence life, student affairs more broadly? What, what had the, the, the conversation been and then what is it starting to move toward now? Yeah, I think what we're moving towards, I, I'm, I serve on this Student Affairs Council, so we um, kind of like, we're kind of trying to focus on how we're open, opening for the fall, and we have six different working groups that kind of help kind of shift what that looks like, and so um, our first meeting occurred maybe a couple of weeks ago, and so our first challenge was like, how do we do the work 
of these groups that were forming in an anti-racist way. So I'm doing community standards, of course, with student conduct. And so looking at policy and procedure, looking at how we engage with our police department, looking at how we hold students accountable in a way that is more restorative in a way than it is punitive when we are talking about COVID-19 expectations and procedures and guidelines. And so we're looking at really like, we're looking at things like that. And also we have a, currently we have a, we have a document that our students of color, specifically our, our black students have put together about this demands that they are hoping that our university pays attention to. And so they have reached out individually to certain like offices and, and also staff members. And so we're bringing that information to our, these meetings and saying, hey, I heard from uh, student A, this is what they are concerned about. And one of those concerns was really about the demonstration policy. So that's been a really huge, like for our particular group that I'm a part of, is about how do we look at our, our demonstration policy in a way that is a way that we support in student learning. And so how do we make sure that we are on the lines of supporting these students, but not making sure they understand that we are not there to be punitive in a way that we can say, hey, we want you to demonstrate. We want you to express your feelings on this particular topic, area, this passion that you might have in a way that's educational, in a way that we are as, as staff are supporting you. So I think there's a lot of different like different devices that students don't understand from a staff and student perspective, but coming together to the table together to figure out how those mesh together is, I think is gonna be the really important part of like how we do that and work together. Thinking about like your your time as as a student, I mean, were you uh, kind of an an activist, or you know, were you one of the people that was you know making demands on on your alma mater, and and if so, how was how does it feel to be on the other side of that now? Yeah, I, and I think that's really one of my, one of my whys, right? I think for me, I was at a school in Georgia actually, um, and so you know, being in the South, you know, there, there comes times where things might come up, you know, racially, and especially being like a black male, like being targeted, has definitely happened in my life. And so I actually had a really bad experience with police on my campus. And so there was a time there was, you know, when, when marijuana and cannabis wasn't seen as this negative thing back in the day, or it was seen negative more negatively than it is now today. Um, there was a lot of targets on our back back in back in the day in 2005, 2004. And so um, you know, of course, I wasn't, I wasn't carrying anything, but I got, I got, I was somebody, I was, basically, I was walking on campus at night, and two police officers came over to me and asked, like, where I was going. I was a student. They didn't believe I was a student, and they asked to search me. They finally found my ID, um, and then, you know, they were like, they asked, do you have any drugs on me? I said, no, sir. And so, just, just stuff like that happened a lot on my campus, and so I was somebody that joined SGA, so I became part of SGA my sophomore year. Um, in college or whatnot. And so that's something that I really, to be an advocate for students, um, that experience happened my freshman year. So I, that, I took that experience and really made it kind of like my, my way of like showing my voice in a way. And so I think I always tell students that I talk to, especially like my students of color and my black students that take the experiences that you are not always fulfilled with and make those your voice and your reasons why you do things. And so I always try to, I think a lot of my students come to me about like, Ron, I don't feel supported. I don't feel this. I don't feel you know, I don't feel the, the, the university is doing this. And I say, okay, so how can we, you know, flip that and make that your why, of why, you, why you should be here and why you should have a purpose here at this institution. So that's why I was trying to challenge and support, but also make sure that they understand that they, they should be here. You should be here. I got, I was targeted as well back in the day. And I think for, for me, I took that experience at first, very, very personally, of course, right? But then I made it a point to make sure that it was, it was known to other people that that wasn't, that wasn't how we are going to, have our culture be here at Georgia State or whatnot. So I made sure that it was changed and for me to get involved and had to have a voice. So 
that's what I, my mantra is always when I hear students talk, try to talk about um, their experiences. And I also understand that if you don't have a voice, how can I help, you know, project that voice to the right people? So also be in that, in that space too. Right. And also make sure that like change actually happens. I feel like yes. we're in this, this place right now where everybody's like making statements and yes. not, and it's, it's much more difficult for a, a variety of reasons to actually affect change. So, so how right. are you thinking about that piece of things? Right. I think, you know, we had some comments about the, um, the, the performative nature of some of these statements after, cause I think I was watching the BET Awards last night. Um, was it last night or was it Sunday? I think it was Sunday night. So the BET Awards. And I think, I'm loving all the response to like Black Lives Matter and some of these, like the companies are really like pouring their investments and money into like some black movements and black businesses and like, and black people are just kind of like, we, we've we been saying this for, you know, a long time now, right? We've, we've been saying some of these same inequalities and same kind of like just things that we've been dealing with for the past, I mean, 400 years now, right? And so I think it's great that we are seeing these type of like um, messages, right? But also what, how are we actually making effective change? So I think, what happens is we have a new cycle that happens and then we have all these like kind of like marketing and all these like messages or you know statements that are put out by universities or by companies and then what happens after that and i think once we get back into the real world like how are we affecting changes so i think for me what i tend to do is um i always ask the question so what so what's what's next and i think when we do it, when we do it, like when we do a step by step, like what are we going to tackle to get to a point where we're actually going to see change? Because our students are going to ask, "Great, thank you for the message. Now, what's next?" And so, one thing that we're doing, and I, I think I said earlier about the, the list of demands, is that we're going to go step by. I think I gave the suggestion to my supervisors to go to go step by step by each demand in our levels of control. So, if there's anything student conduct wise, residence life wise, can we go through each of these demands to see how that falls in our wheelhouse? and give a statement about each thing about why we can or cannot maybe address these particular things or how we're going to make sure we do that for this academic year for 2020, 2021. And so I think to have that into an actual like text box or a, um, some type of like, you know, form that the students can see and visualize and then have a more another conversation with those students, that's a way to show action about how we're going to react to those things. And so yeah. that's, what, that's something I'm working on right now actually with my students. And so I want to make sure that that's going to be happening this year. Yeah. Does it, does it help in this case that you're new? Like you don't know like the, the previous history or any, what the kind of internal politics are. You could just be like, Hey, this is what I want to have happen. Yeah. And I think it's funny. I think we have a lot of new staff here currently. So I think we have people that I know my extra department, maybe like two or three of us that are new. And so it's been really helpful to be someone that didn't, that hasn't known me that much context. Um, but it's nothing, it's nothing even new. When I was even at Emory, when I was at GW, there was always some type of demand by our Black student population that they didn't feel a support. So it's a common theme amongst the schools that I've worked at in the past. And so I think that it wasn't a surprise for me. So context given or not, I'm sure there's a story out there that there's something that happened to a student that it got this type of like, you know, attention towards things and we had to make sure we made change. So I'm sure there's something that's out there. I didn't really ask the question, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure the theme is definitely there. And so for me, it's been helpful because they know that I've been to these type of institutions, which has been helpful to kind of have that experience and also to show that I've done things around this work um, that can really be an asset to the organization. So I think, again, on top of being in COVID and trying to plan for the fall on trying to invoke change racially and trying to make sure we, we meet our students halfway, um, 
it's just it's hard right now. I would I would say the work the work is hard. The work is it's hard because we're trying to balance so many priorities in so many different ways to make sure that we meet in the safety and security, but also the support of students who need it the most, right? And I think when you do that work, you have to make sure that you have time for yourself. Because <laughs> I know that you know my supervisor and myself, we can be on the call on our like on Zoom or Teams to like ten o'clock at night, just talking through some of the things that we are trying to like just get towards. But I think at the end of the day, we enjoy it so much that we don't think of it as work always. But I think that's when you show, that's when you see the people that are trying to figure out how do we get students to a point where we have them, we're doing the change that they want to see. Um, and the, the reality is we're not going to please everyone, but we're going to try to do as much as we can possible. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's so great. I think, I think Northwestern students are, are really lucky to have you on their team and um, the, you know, the fact that, that you're so, so dedicated, but yeah, you do have to find some time for some self-care, especially before the fall comes. Exactly. Um, exactly. And we're, we're lucky because we're on the quarter system, so we don't start to September. So we're, we're been, we, we have a like, kind of like a longer summer, you call it. Um, but um, yeah, we're, we're gearing up right now for our fall. So we we're hoping to, um, Bring some folks back here, so we'll see. Yeah, what what's that gonna look like? To yeah, so our message, now, anyway. Our message went out to our students last um, Friday, and so um, right now um, we are going to bring. We're going to focus really on our first and second year students, um, with the option of our third and fourth, fourth third and fourth year students to come back. So we typically have a first and second year requirement to live on campus, um, and so we're going to do a single occupancy um, model. But now since we Illinois went into a phase four of the reopening plan. And so now we have the option to do roommates. And so we did a form to our students that say, to indicate their, first of all, indicate if they want to come back or not. That's the first question. Second question, if they wanted a roommate or not. So if they want a roommate, they have to be matched with that roommate by the two of them together. So they can't can have like a random roommate assignment to be them agreeing to that particular roommate. So if they wanted that, they can have that option. Um, and then also, we promise any contracts to any of our graduate family housing, then they will keep those contracts for next year. So um, we got a lot of responses and we did kind of like a survey about who wants to come back. And we had like a really big, really big result of like people want to come back to campus and be here and be in this, be in this space. Um, and so we've been revising some of our policies. So me and my supervisor on, on the conduct side, we were working on a training for the back to campus, all the PPE stuff, COVID-19 prevention, our guest policy, we're talking about common spaces and gatherings. And so we're gonna really go through an hour of training and we have about maybe like 42 slides to share with them. And also we're gonna really be intentional about sharing how we're gonna to respond to violations of COVID-19 expectations and guidelines. Um, because we wanna make sure our students understand that we're gonna respond in a way that's very like intentional and not punitive. So we have kind of like a, a layer system that goes from like um, unintentional to like severe, um, severe um, violations or whatnot. So it goes from like, I, so for example, say I walked out of my apartment and I forgot my mask. That was a mistake. It's going to happen. We're, gonna, we're requiring masks in all common spaces or common areas. Um, but say, you know, someone gets to a roommate conflict and they cough in someone's face, for example, that's, that's a very severe, intentional violation so that might go to like maybe to like a housing probation or a suspension and then the, the lower level will be more, more like, a, like, like an advisory letter like hey we, we just want to remind you about the expectations about wearing a mask so we're really just trying to be more equitable and how we really go about, about that process so it's kind of our reopening plan for right now it, it is changing every day <laughs> yeah. um that's that's as of like 5 50 p.m <laughs> time at um 
on June, on June 30th, 30th so yeah. it could definitely change because we we it could be go, we can go, go back to phase three tomorrow so who knows what could happen yeah. so um but that's for right now yeah uh, so you you talked about these kind of two different hats that you wear the kind of two different you know one side on student student affairs and kind of equity issues the other side is on kind of conduct issues mm-hmm. do you do you see a way since things are already going to be like really different this fall anyway right so do you right. see an opportunity to maybe introduce some more programming around anti-racism or just like just even what you were talking about about a more rehabilitative versus punitive approach to to, mm-hmm. to, to, to discipline like I guess it's just is there a way to marry these two things and and just mm-hmm. bring it all to just have have all the changes basically yeah. happen this fall at once I think it's a good start right and I think this is a good time I've been talking to again on my conduct side a lot about restorative justice I think you can marry some of that information with restorative justice practices and how we, how we build community is going to be so important this year because you have to really understand especially when we're going to like our RA training and some of our student staff training we're going to really really utilize our restorative circles and like kind of like how we talk about community breaking and community mapping and contracting and whatnot. And so how do we make sure we have those relationships, first off, um, with your residents or with your community first? Because the community will be smaller this year, right? As RAs, you'll have the same number of RAs, but you'll have a smaller community. So how are, how are we going to make sure that you're engaging your community first? It's going to be very different because it might be very, it might be via Zoom. It could be via Teams. It could be, you know, it could be it could be in your hallway, but all six, six, feet, six feet apart from each other. So how are we going to make sure we build that community first? So I think community building has, has, has always been, let's have cookies, let's have coffee, let's just interact in very close proximity. So I think we have to reimagine how we build community first. I think with the anti-racism lens, I think this is a good opportunity to really get into some really hardcore sort of just issues, especially when we see COVID-19 being in the forefront of all this, is that we really saw some very big bias incidents that happened in the spring semester towards um, a lot of our students of color, because I'm our, our Asian student population. And so, bringing those stories to, to this table. And I think one thing that we are trying to infuse is like storytelling and story circles in, as part of programming. So programming is gonna really be shifted into more of a personalized storytelling, story mapping, um, visual way of how we do our interactions with each other with our, our staff members. So I think you'll be able to get some of that language and we're gonna train our staff on that during some of our RA training this year. So I think we're gonna get have the opportunity to really delve more deeper into those things. But I think also, What's the hard part about this this time is that when you're doing RA training now is that when we talk about student staff, we need to make sure they know what they need to know for the first 60 days of their job, right? Because we're in the COVID-19, training can't be the same way it was last August like it is this August. So I think right now when we are having these times where we can't be in person with each other, we can utilize more time virtually to do these things. And so does that mean a book club? Does that mean, does that mean um, us doing programming strictly all online, do more module based, like how does that look? So I think we're talking about those things. And so I think the work has to start at the top though. I think the priority has to be coming from all people, not just some people. And I think that's really what I think I struggle with sometimes where I think there's some people always in the department that love the work that we do around anti-racism, social justice, diversity, inclusion work, and it all marries each other. But I think we always can kind of like forget about it and like go to the side. So um, how do we, how we, how do we get buy-in from the, the folks who aren't always in that forefocus of that mind? So that's always where I struggle with the work that we try to do because I think we it's important work, but how do we get the buy-in from that? 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's a constant struggle for mm-hmm. sure. And, and especially now when there's so many competing priorities, it seems like mm-hmm. everything is just on fire and emergency. Yes. And yeah. Um, so what are you hearing from students? I mean, how, mm-hmm. how are they feeling about coming back or kind of where, where are their heads at right now? Students are excited to come back. And, and I think as a conduct officer on one side, I'm nervous, but then on the rest of the side, I'm excited because I love, like, I just love moving and I love, um, the feeling of like, you know, especially like first year students coming to campus, like for the first time, I, I have sympathy for them because they, they haven't had a prom, they haven't had a graduation typically, they haven't had the celebratory, like just typical things in life that happens for high schoolers, right, that they come from high school or, or you know, prep school or whatnot. And so I want them to be able to experience like their first year in college or whatnot. And so I think I feel, and I, from my, I'm hearing they're they're excited. They're they're excited about coming to Northwestern. I, we, we're doing some webinars and some like some just like come like YouTube stuff for some of our YouTube live stuff and like just give information to our students coming up. And so we get a lot of replies like I'm so excited. Like you know parents are excited and that we're opening for the fall. And um, I'm really happy that they're excited. I just think on the other opposite end of things of how do we how do we as a community do some community brainstorming? About how we how do we communicate to these students? what community means and what their responsibility is as a community member, right? And so I think for me, as someone who is way older than them and from 18 years old, is that I understand that, but how did, how, did, how can an 18-year-old conceptualize what I mean as a community? When I come from being an individual or a brother or sister to bring in part of a broader community and safety is involved with that, you know, how, how do I communicate that to them in a clear way? And so I think for me as an administrator, I, I'm nervous about them being so locked in these past couple of months that when they get here, they might, you know, they might hear about a, an event in Chicago or they might hear about a party off campus. And we might have um, 40 or 50 people go to off campus party and they come back to the residence halls. And then what happens? Um, I read an article on Inside Higher Ed um, about Clemson, for example. Um, I know there was a the athletes came back, I believe, and they went to a bar and they, they have about 85 cases of COVID-19 right now. So I, I, I worry about how we're gonna, how are we gonna manage the potential outbreak of COVID-19, but also I understand that younger people aren't really as concerned about COVID-19 too as we are. Um, and so I wonder how we get that across in a way that is, that they can take it as serious as, as we do, but also understanding that, you know, there's things that we can control and things we can't control, right? There's things that we are gonna be able to control in inside those spaces. and. As we can, I'm, I'm hoping the students understand that. But I'm, I've heard they're very excited about coming back, and they want to be here in the community. They want to be in Chicago. They want to be in the Midwest, and um, we're happy to have them. Just hope that they understand our expectations that behind being back here. Yeah. Well, just from our chat here, I know you're going to yeah. do everything you can oh, with, yeah. Oh, with, yeah. with empathy and grace yes. and all of that to to make sure that everybody's staying safe and healthy. Of course. Um, of course. So I want to, before we wrap up here, I just want to switch, switch gears here briefly. Um, I, I read in your bio, you're a travel influencer and a yeah, group trip word. planner. Yeah, I wear your, <laughs> your t-shirt. So um, how have you been managing the distinct lack of travel these mm-hmm. days? And what's the first trip you want to take whenever this lockdown ends? Yeah, so I can give you some background on what this is. So like, yeah, tra- travel is not happening right now. <laughs> um, but um, a couple of years ago, so... I, so I come from, I'm a first generation student uh, or a graduate, excuse me. And, um, you know, one thing I really wanted to do in undergrad, I wanted to study abroad so bad. I was so, that's, that was the thing I really wanted to do. A lot of my, my roommate did it um, twice during undergrad. And he, um, 
I never had a chance to do it. I couldn't afford it. Um, there was times where I almost, almost went and then was never able to go. And so I said when I graduated from grad school that I was going to take a trip internationally because I never went to the country before. Um, a lot of people who are like me or who are black like me who told me they had never been in the country before. And so back in 20, 2015, there was a really big travel movement that happened. There was this, these, these flight deals happened, these flight, um, what was they, what they call those things? Um, glitches, flight glitches um, mm-hmm. that kind of started happening all over the place. And so I think the first thing that happened was there was a flight glitch on Christmas Eve, um, 2014 to Dubai. It was a $189 round trip flight deal that I thought was a hoax and ended up being a thing. And so that was my first trip actually that I booked. But then there was another one that happened like two days ago to two days after that um, to Kenya. They actually was my first trip internationally. So um, went to Kenya, had a great time. It was my first time out of the country and um, had a great time. And so after that, um, people started on social media, started asking me questions about how to travel. How do you, I'm like, I've only been out of the country one time. <laughs> I'm not the expert, but I've went a couple more times and then I started becoming like a person that like answer questions. So this is where Dear Black Traveler came from. And so we typically do like group trips together. So I've done eight trips with, um, to, I've been, with, we've, been, we've been to Thailand, Bali, we've been to um, South Africa, uh, we went to Colombia. And so we've been to a lot of different places or whatnot. And so I think the first trip that I really want to take is to Jamaica. I really want to go to, I've never been to Jamaica. I went to, um, I went to, where islands did I go to? I went to, oh my God. Oh my God. I can't think of it right now. But I went to an island back in November of last year that's near Jamaica. And um, I just really want to go. I just, I think it's a great place to be. And um, I really want to go there. So once the, once the cruises open up again, and I think, I think, I think they're open, but I don't, I don't trust to be on the cruise right now. Um, I want to take, take a cruise to Jamaica. That'd be a great, great trip to go on. So. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I, I have read before, I just, I mean, this is total like white privilege speaking here, but I, I had never thought about some of the, 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 how the, the racism and some of that extends mm-hmm. when, when black people travel. And so yeah. that's just, you know, just, yeah. I think to the, this point of how it's so entrenched in our mm-hmm. culture and our systems and yeah. it's a completely different experience. I will say whiteness is very centered. And I think that's something that we base off a lot of our things off of. And I think even talking earlier about just talk about training, think about, um, I traveled to like Thailand, for example, and they thought we were all, we thought we were, it was all black men. And, um, they thought that we were all athletes, right? So they thought we were like football players and basketball players from America. And none of us were professional athletes at all. You know, we were all college educated men, all graduates of colleges across the country. And so it just, it just, it just shows that it's not, you know, it's not just here in America, it's all over the world. And um, how do we combat that when it's not just here, right? Not just in our state, not just in our country, but it's, it's across the world that this is the center of like what we think the right thing is, which is whiteness. And um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how to combat that. So. Yeah, and I mean, I know that there's like the the big trend now is everybody reading books like like how yeah. to be an anti-racist and those kind of mm-hmm. things. But I mean, that strikes me as just one piece of it. I mean, it's great mm-hmm. to to be educated, but you also have to actually put that into action, right? Yeah. Right. I I, I, had, I had a come with one a good friend of mine about um, allyship versus being a, an accomplice, and so you know I think the the word accomplice has a negative connotation to like like to a crime, and so. I think of that more as like if you 
are in the fight with me, like you are going to be fighting with me to like help invoke that change. You're never allies are gonna be more so like, you know, I agree, but what are we gonna what what what, what are you gonna do behind that I agreeness, right? And so I think being a part of that actual fight, being out there in the protest, being out there to kind of say if you're in the space where I'm not there, right? If I'm not in the space or that table, when you're having that, that policy conversation with maybe the senior director or whoever that position might be, and you can make that change in that space, how are you how are you gonna come to that table and say, no, this is not correct, this is not right. And so I think that's more of an accomplice. So I think that's where I think what after you get through the books that you read and you go through those self-reflections that you have and you're actually like, okay, I understand the work. Now, how do you do the work? That's when you become an accomplice. And I think that's where we can do some, a lot of, that's more training that can happen around those things. And now how do we actually take what we're learning and we know the information and how do we now apply it to doing the work to make sure we're fighting against these systems that are in place that are not really meant for a lot of people or not, and not really inclusive for a lot of people. So, Right. And it shouldn't be like your job to make sure that people are becoming accomplices when everybody oh. has to take it <laughs> on to themselves. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Jenny. Like, I think that, you know, I was reading the book about that, that it shouldn't be the people of color, the black people to teach that or to show you that it should be, it, should, it shouldn't be us. I think that's something that we always assume that we should be doing. And I think that it, get, it, it gets tiring. It gets tiring. And um, there's, plenty, been, there's, been, there's been times when I've seen that happen when someone who is of white nature has literally asked someone, like, can you, like, give us more information about this experience? And we don't always want to be that person to, to like, share that personal experience, right? We want to be able to, you know, still be safe in those spaces without having to always reveal ourselves completely. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I do want to thank you, Ron, for being so open with us today and for sharing your story and all, all the hard work you're doing at Northwestern. I, I know that your students are going to be well taken care of physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, everything by, it sounds like all the, all the great work you and your colleagues are doing. So I'm, I'm sad Logan couldn't be with us tonight. Logan oh. sends his regards, everybody. Um, but he will hopefully be back um, for our next episode. But uh, in the meantime, Ron, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Listeners, head to higher-ed.social and get links to all the things we talked about today and subscribe to our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us and lets us know what you think about the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at HES Podcast and send us a tweet. We love talking to you and would love to hear from you if you want to be on the show. Higher Ed Social was created by Jackie Vitrano and Logan Bishop and is part of the Connect EDU Network, the first podcast network for higher education. Visit connectedu.network to subscribe to some awesome shows no matter where you work on campus.